As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Well, welcome everyone to this conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute. It is a distinct pleasure to be sitting here with Torn Ellis. Torn is one of the two hosts on podcast Crazy and the King. I'm going to let him share with you about his Sirius XM channel as well. Torn and I have met one another through the global HR community, through a community of leaders trying to do our best to disrupt and make this world a better place for you and those who work with and around you. Torn, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. Yeah, Mike, and I absolutely remember exactly when we met in the exchange was around what happened, unfortunately, to the good brother, Mr. George Floyd in Minneapolis. And you were kind enough. You were interested enough. You were sincere enough to reach out via email and offer up your voice, offer up your your feeling, if you will. And it was in that moment that we established this relationship and we get to move forward. You did mention Sirius XM. I rock each and every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Channel 126, The Urban View. I think it's so incredibly important. And I'm humbled that I have that platform where we can reach individuals and talk about career development, diversity, and disruption. And I'm equally as happy about being here with you on the podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, sir. So one of the things that I've been so excited about for this discussion is being able to get in some of the tough conversations that some of our listeners have been living and that some of our listeners are also not comfortable having, right? And I think it's extremely important as we think through our goal of helping leaders succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, and helping bring out the best of all people that we have around us in our lives, that we really get after some of these discussions and take this moment to drive home the individual nature and the personalized nature of racism, anti-racism, microaggressions, equity, in our workplaces and things that workplaces are lit up for. I was talking torn to someone earlier today and they're like, you know, Mike, you know this, this has always existed. This is just now all of a sudden people are talking about it more and more and more. We're starting to see some change happen, but we hope this fire doesn't ever burn out for some because for some they're living in it every day. So torn, what are you, as you're talking to organizations and trying to encourage leaders to keep the flame burning bright and to keep the cause of trying to create equality in the workplace and building more inclusive conversations and workplaces and lives. Where do you start with that when you're jumping into these discussions with leaders around the world? I start in the same place each and every time with the truth. And for me, it's a matter of we, we're not talking about it more. I actually tend to think that because more is relative. You know, when you think about the conversation that they were having in the 60s during the civil rights era, that conversation was quite a bit different than the one that we're having right now. 
yet there are strands of similarity over the last 50 years that have presented themselves to us each and every year, each and every decade, each and every generation. There are strands of similarity. And so I think what makes it a little bit different for us, not more, but different, is the fact that we have a mobile device that can capture some of that activity, some of those conversations that may be happening. And so I don't think that we're talking about it more. I'm happy at the pace in which we're talking about it today in 2020, but I don't think it's more. Quite frankly, I think it's, it's less. If we think about the intensity, if we think about the sacrifice that individuals made in the 60s, and yet we are where we are right now, black and brown people at the bottom of historical markers or healthcare markers, black and brown people are at the bottom of wealth creation, yet black women are some of the most educated in the entire country. We don't have black and brown people that are leading organizations at the very senior of levels. I don't know if we're talking about it more. And so when you ask me, where do I start? I start with the truth, that truth, that we've hidden behind a curtain of mediocrity and complacency for far too long, that we've allowed people that have been in power, people that can make the decisions around joining organizations, escalating, growing through in organizations, being supported in organizations with mentor, with relationship. I don't know if we've done enough. I think that we've had too many individuals operating with complacency, with excuse, and with mediocrity. And so, Mike, I tend to start right there. Like, if, in fact, we are going to shift the narrative around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, then we got to make sure we start with the truth. Excellent. Thank you for positioning this conversation. As we think about, as you and I are sitting here talking about, Torn, what are we going to do? How are you and I going to partner up? What are we going to do to make the world a better place? And how do we take action, right? If our listeners are saying, I know I need to do more than talk about it. And I also know it needs to show up in every aspect of my own personal life, as well as our leadership practices and the way that we're engaging in conversations. How do you and I help our listening audience take action tomorrow or take action three days from now to start changing the narrative inside their own organizations and inside our community? Yeah, I think the first thing that we got to do is shelve that fragility. And what do I mean by that? I mean that as individuals that are in the dominant culture, mm-hmm. white men, white women, you have to shelve your fragility. When we have these conversations, you can't retreat from the conversation because it rubs you the wrong way emotionally. You're upset because someone happens to say, racism or you're a racist or they're a racist or shelve the fragility. Because what I say to individuals is that a condition of progress is to allow those that are suffering to speak their truth. And so when people like myself and others are speaking, telling story, providing example, giving you the data that you so desperately refer to often, Mm. when we're doing these things, and yet you want to silence, minimize, discount, shove to the side because it doesn't feel right. It's different. It's unsettling. And it's that unsettling in which we are able to grow. There's that saying, you know it, Mike, no pain, no gain. 
We say it all the time. Right. How many other phrases do we say and we're not really married to them? Bring your whole self to work. No, we don't really want people to bring their whole self to work. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, I mean, we've been doing that. Yeah. And exactly where has that gotten us? Yeah. So the first thing that we can do in the next couple of days is we can shelve that fragility. As leaders, we can listen. Inside of our organizations, we can set aside some time to listen. Tim Ryan, PWC, CEO Action Committee, set out back in 2016 to do listening sessions. The genesis, if you will, of CEO Action now with more than 13, maybe 1,400 signatories. Individuals, organizations that have said diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are critical, vital in our organization. So we're going to make declarations. We're going to make some statements. One of those key steps, listening. And so I think if we are very much so tied to wanting to be genuine about the progress and making such, we'll show fragility, we'll listen. Then after that listening, we'll do a declarative statement around what it means for our organization to substantively pursue progress. And that's different for every entity. I have so many organizations that reach out and say, well, Tom, we want to be best in class or we want to do what they are doing over there. I tell all of them, don't worry about what they're doing. Don't even worry about being best in class. You just be a better and the best organization that you can be. Because there's people out there that really want to be in that organization. They love who you all are. They love the mission, the product, the service offering. They love that. They just want to be in the best organization that this organization can be. So that's all we need to do. We just need to be the best organization that we can be. Fragility, put it on the shelf. Number two, listen. And number three, let's make a declarative statement and then let's get at the work. I was in a conversation last week, Torn, around start with us, right? Sure. Start with my heart. Start with the individual. Start with your heart of how we're coming together for this work. I believe we can make a declarative statement, and many do. Many think that declarative statement is hiring a vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they still give that role no authority, no power to make decision. And it's also like coaching and development. Sometimes I know we started seeing it earlier this year that individuals in that role were getting let go first because we've got to cut budget because of the pandemic that we're living in, right? And I would argue that many of those organizations that did that, diversity, equity, and inclusion is not purely a public statement. It needs to be a heart reaction and a core value of what we're delivering and how we're delivering in our everyday culture, right? And so many DEI executives who are, you know, we're going to make the corporate statement, we're going to hire this role. Those individuals get very frustrated and it taints the value of the brand of the organization because they're not actually living out the core values and beliefs. See, I love that you're being demonstrative right now. It's rubbing off on you. I love that. I love that you're raising your hand and you're moving and you're being, you're showing a bit of that energy. You've also shown a bit of homework being done. You're right. Organizations in the beginning of the year, they have been cutting DNI representation in the leadership level. 
they have been cutting budgets inside of organizations, but historically they've underfunded those individuals. You see what they've done in the past, Mike, is they provided the lip service and the press release. They've made sure that they put somebody in, but then they've not funded the capacity for them to do the work. They have not given them the reign to do the work. They haven't given them the line of leadership, that connectedness to the CEO. They haven't done the things that say that this is extremely important to us. I would absolutely submit to you that I think that HR has failed miserably over the last 20 years. I mean that. Yes. Because in fact, they wouldn't have failed, then we wouldn't have had Me Too, Time's Up, and still be having an inclusion and representation conversation to the degree, small degree, in which we are having it. Does that mean that I despise HR individuals? Absolutely not. Love them. Love the role that they play in this continuum, in the process. But true speak says that you haven't done a great enough job. You haven't done the job of protecting both people and organization. You protected the company, done a nasty job of protecting people, particularly the women inside of our organizations, particularly the underrepresented in our organizations. So it's time for us to have that honest conversation and say, yeah, you can put the declarative statement out, but someone needs to be able to hold you accountable. That might be the ERG, the BRG, or the affinity groups. That could be a number of employees that are down at the individual contributor level, senior leadership team that says, you know what, I'm not trying to be disruptive. I'm not trying to buck the system. But if we said we're going to do these things, these are the things that we need to do to help make it easier for me to lead my business unit and my department, to keep them inspired, to keep them motivated, to keep them moving and pushing towards what we say is our mission, our objective, our goal. So I don't see anything wrong with being held accountable. I see everything wrong with an organization saying that DNI is not important enough that it can make it through a pandemic. Yeah, I see something wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. again, the flip side of that conversation is, Mike, again, I'm going to give you one of those familiar phrases, war for talent. We've been saying it since the 90s. Like I got into recruiting and started my first agency in 1998, July to be specific. War for Talent was a phrase that came out around 1996, 97. So what is it? Do you want to rely on this war for talent? Or do you want to get in and do something different that develops talent, that inspires talent, that shows them that we are going to pour into them and help them to grow in our organization, make our organization attractive? How are we going to build an ecosystem that's beautiful? You see, I believe firmly that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is a beautiful conversation. I believe that when a person in an organization, a team goes after D, E, I, and B, that they have a system that adds efficiency and efficacy throughout the entire recruiting process. Not just this piece, all of it. I think diversity and inclusion makes everything about an organization better. And here's what's funny, Mike. I don't need another report to verify that for me. Right. I don't need another chart to substantiate that for me. I know that when you and I are sharing good kinetic energy, good digital energy, I know that we are both feeling different in the midst of this conversation. Mm. So I know what inclusion and representation can do. I've seen it 
over and over and over again. I've pursued it when I had my own teams, both in corporate America and now, and I make sure that I extol it every single chance that I get. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. When you were mentioning the listening component, Torn, I think there's so many individuals, even that where we focused on communication and communication has become a one-way street of what I push out to people, not what I hear that's actually happening with my people, right? And can we dig into that, the listening aspect of how vulnerable and open and transparent we as leaders need to be with our people? We believe at the Talent Magnet Institute that you need to create an organization that is so magnetic that it does attract the best and brings out the best of all people. However, you can only do that if you're an ambassador for your people, if your people feel their voice matters, if your people feel and know they can trust you like never before, right? That's how you help start to bring out the best of all people. And then you also have to challenge them to do things that are outside their comfort zone, which we're all in the midst of being challenged. So let's challenge those that are tuning in with us to say, what do I do to listen to those black leaders in my organization? What do I do to listen to the women in my organization? What do I do to listen to the leaders of color in my organization or people of color in my organization? to be a better place to help all of them thrive in our environment and bring that impact that you just referenced and that synergy to my team and our organization. Yeah, I tend to think that, you know, from a DNI standpoint, we often find ourselves landing on a conversation that centers around gender and race. I get it. It's important. But of course, when we look at the totality of the definition or a more expanded version of such, we know that it includes academic footprint. We know that it includes socioeconomic status. It might have political inferences, religious, spiritual inferences. There's certainly some other aspects that layer on or intersect with that gender, that race. From a corporate standpoint, I tend to even enlarge it by saying, well, when you think about the organization, think about the community and the geography in which you do business, where you have representation. Think about the product and service suite, how that is curated, how that's explored in terms of a roadmap and product iterations and new offerings and collaborations and strategic alliances and mergers and acquisitions. Think about the creative innovation that comes from having different individuals contributing to that right there. The value of why we want to have different people at the table. And then, of course, think about headcount management or our talent. So, the DNI conversation to me is very, very large. When we think about leaders listening to your point, it's not a matter of parading the pain of black and brown people. That's not what I'm suggesting. If, in fact, black and brown people and others are willing to share with you some of those experiences that have happened inside of corporate America that could be painful, if they're comfortable enough and they want to share some of those experiences that may have happened in the community, like I can talk about being pulled over by police and having guns drawn on me. I can talk about individuals who have called me out of my name, uh, ethnic slurs in restaurants, grocery stores, when I was 
holding my daughter in my arm. I can give those stories. I may not want to share them in the workplace because I don't feel that connectedness. But to the degree in which I'm willing to share, we got to find a balance in terms of listening. But as you stated, Mike, you got to care enough. You got to care enough to ask me to hop on a Zoom call with you that has nothing to do with our quota, has nothing to do with that partner call, has nothing to do with going after that new client we did research on, has nothing to do with the uh, bottom line ROI. I just want a Zoom call of 10 minutes. You grab a beverage, I grab a beverage, get some ice cream and apple pie, it doesn't matter to me. But let's do something that says, I want to know a little more about you. Not because I'm nosy and prying, but because I really genuinely am caring about you. That's what great leadership is. Great leadership isn't about us doing the interview behind the closed door in the beginning, and then we allow that person to sit over in the corner And we really don't really like them. And so we don't create a relationship. Listen, I had 18 people on my team. I had a different relationship with all 18 of them. Certainly the relationship was better with some than others, but there wasn't a person on my team that didn't think that they could come and sit with me in my cubicle and say, Torn, I'm having a rough day. Torn, my babysitter is acting up. Man, do you understand? My lights are turned off. 18 people. I got people right now, Mike, that call me. I haven't been in corporate America since 1998. Mm-hmm. I have people that worked for me in 1993 that still call me today. And that's not because they made a whole lot of money with me. We were in 93 making $7.07 an hour plus commission. So why are they calling me? Why are they still connected to me today? They're not clients. They'll never be a client. They call because I cared. They know that I care about them. And so as a leader, if you're going to listen, well, you got to listen and people got to know that you care. Mm. And people know whether or not you really care. That's right. They know whether or not you are being performative at best. They know whether or not their supervisor told them to call and check on you. They know. Right. So I just simply need you to be authentic and genuine and show up. People say, you see it right here. ROI of DNI is greater humanity. You show me more humanity, I'm going to give you everything I got in the organization. You show me that you care, I'm going to give you everything I got as if I'm going to run through brick wall to close that quota, to shut down that sales objective. I'm going to run through brick walls. I'm going to do all of that. Yeah. But you got to show me that you care. Yeah. So I have spent the last 20 years helping build high-performing organizations. And the highest performing organizations that I've ever had the pleasure of partnering with and leaders who really get it, the number one thing you see deep and innate is that my leadership team, the culture of this company, cares about me personally more than they do professionally. I have have so much trust in them because they give me a tremendous amount of respect. I know my voice is heard. And I don't have to worry about what's happening behind my back, right? And many have said, I remember being at a conference in Chicago with a client and a leader grabbed me aside and he was, he got very emotional. He was like, Mike, at 56 years old, this is the first time I've ever worked in an environment where I didn't have to watch what was going on behind my back. Yeah. To your point, I will do anything I can because, oh, and when I do well, I do well. Absolutely. When I do well at work, my personal life thrives, right? 
And how many environments do we know where people leave the office and feel beaten up? They feel torn down. And we as organizations need to lift up and build up our people. That's how you bring out their greatest good. Absolutely. Allow people to be the most innovative, thoughtful, and results-driven because they know that you care so much for me that I want to do my best, right? It's like opening up a door that no one's ever been through before. Torn, as you look at organizations, and if I'm a leader sitting here saying, and I'm just going to go down a couple of topics that I think are important for us to talk about. So there's two topics of one is a leader that's still sitting here saying, I don't see race. I'm not racist in my hiring decisions because I don't see race as I go through and interview talent. How should that person who's thinking that saying, you know, I'm not racist. I don't ever even look at color. How does that make you feel? Well, first of all, you got to stop that about I don't look at color. So, I mean, I'm sorry if you got to bleep that out, but. No, I'm asking. I need individuals to see who I am. Amen. I'm going back to bring your whole self to work. That doesn't mean for some reason I'm going to leave the color at the door right before I swipe my badge. That doesn't mean that I'm, no, I need you to see who I am because that proximity to who I am allows you to have some degree of relationship with perhaps the promise and the pain that I may be going through. It has you to create some degree of relationship with the totality of the story that I may be sharing with you. So so I need you to see who I am as a leader. I never want you as an individual. I never want to hear you say, I don't see race, ever. I need you to see it. What you can say is that race is a made-up construct. What you can say is that the human race started in Africa, so that we really are brothers and sisters, all of us. What you can say is that I hate the fact that we talk about race like I do. I hate the fact that we refer to people in the dominant structure, that we talk about white supremacy. Just the language itself frustrates me. What makes them supreme? What makes me a minority? When we look at the globe, most of the people around the globe have a hue. They're of color. So why were we relegated to being the minority? Mm. So that's what you can say. You can say that I hate the construct of race and how when we explore it truthfully, We haven't really done a good job of exploring it truthfully. That's a great place for us to start. And so when I think about when you are inside of organizations and people have that as their foundation, their starting point of the conversation. And let me say this, Mike, I'm willing to even agree that a person who utters that means well. I just want when I correct you, that fragility that we talked about, I don't want you to shut down. I don't want you to retreat from the conversation. Right. I just want us to be able to level set on truth. That's all. So when you say, I don't see race and I correct you, still be there, still be present. Stay in the conversation with me. Yeah. And I guarantee you that exchange right there is going to fortify and make you an even better leader because A, you won't make the mistake for other people that may not necessarily speak up. B, you can have a different conversation when you do that Zoom extension because now you have a different understanding. You've got a different relationship. So now I get to take all of this and build and move to another. 
That's what allows us to be more human. So I'm a correct person who says, I don't see race. I'm a correct them. I don't care who they are. I don't care what level they are. Yeah. But that's how I am, man. I'm showing up honestly. That's right. I don't really have a pause function. I don't really have a paralysis lever in my throat now. Torn, I was just this past week talking to a president of an organization who made a pretty significant promotion of an individual, of a black woman. And his comment was, my only concern is a couple people are going to make comments to her inside our organization. And I took the opportunity. And I think this is where we all have to be bold and not just letting that pass, right? I'm not going to miss that door you just opened to me because listen what you just said. The immediate reaction was no time like the present to, if you hear something that is said, you do something about what was said. And you let her know that if anything, and all of our employees should know this, if anything makes you feel uncomfortable, right? To your point earlier, Torn, don't our employee handbook say that, right? right? Something makes you uncomfortable. You're supposed to let your superior know, right? You need to let our people know. I want to know the microaggressions that go on. I also want to know the direct comments that are not okay. Yep. And I will deal with that. And I, I'll say it. I don't care if it's with a customer. I don't care if it's with a coworker. You need to address that situation. And oh, by the way, when you do, that woman leader that you just promoted, who's black, is going to say, this is the safest environment I've ever worked in. Because the well, you you would absolutely, you would hope. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, Mike. Well, and the likelihood of anyone doing that for that leader is probably pretty slim that anyone's ever done that for that leader. Yeah. Yeah. You would hope. I was on a webinar that the recruitment events company did about a month ago out of London. Jamie Leonard and his fantastic team, they held a webinar. And some women that we know in our space, five of them, I'm sure you know some of them. They were on the webinar and there was a point in the webinar in which the five women, all black women, said that they have never felt safe or whole in a workplace in their entire career. So what I said was in the comment section or live, I can't remember, it was like five in the morning. I said, I want you all to repeat that. Like, I want to make sure that I'm hearing from five black women that you've never felt safe and whole at the same time in an organization. It's always been a trade-off. So the fact that this individual promoted this Black woman, appreciate that. I'm sure she earned every bit of the promotion. The fact that he was able to call out that he knows that there are going to be microaggressions or aggressive behavior, maybe even harassment, says something about the organization, says something about him. Now, I'm not saying it's bad, but it says something that you know that this has the high potential of happening, says something about the organization, says something about him. My hope is that he does exactly what you encouraged, instructed, that we deal with that in the moment, that we do not allow individuals to fester and deliver that toxicity in our work environments, that we stamp out what could be racism or harassment. We can never make it comfortable 
for people to infringe on other individuals in our organization. We can never make it okay for people to run highly talented, highly qualified, experienced, and accomplished contributors out of our organization. Mm. That's costly. Yeah. So that's why I say if we do DNI the right way, we add efficacy and efficiency through the entire organization. It's not just a recruiting initiative. It's not just the responsibility of that chief diversity officer. I believe you used the word ambassadors early. You said ambassadors or evangelists, one of the two. Ambassador. It's enrolling people in this work. So I just feel and hope that in that instance, that example that you shared, that that individual provides all types of protection and support for this newly promoted individual inside of the organization. That's my hope. Yeah, I will add, because you what you were just delivering is also, if we know that behavior is going to happen, don't wait for it to happen to address the issue if we know where it's Absolutely. coming from. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, you mitigate that. Yeah. yeah, you got to. You have to. Mitigate that right away. Critical. It's another way to show that we're here, right? That we're showing up for our people and we're going to live and lead boldly to make that happen. Torn, in respect to our time, thank you again to the listeners that are tuning in here. There's one other question that has been submitted that I want to get your perspective on. And that perspective is, as I'm going through looking at, like, if I'm an organization that's already doing well, and we're promoting leaders of color, and there's, and we also have just diverse teams, and we believe that we're high-performing, you said earlier, focus on yourself to focus on your own high performance. What are some things that you're seeing from organizations that you believe are doing very well in getting the ROI from DEI and B? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go back to that declarative statement that I mentioned about 15, 20 minutes ago. Uh-huh. A declarative statement for me is written, but it's also an action. And so in addition to organizations writing down what that declaration is, how it might manifest, show up, whether it's something that is shared externally, certainly something that is socialized internally, a declarative statement is actionable. And so one of the things that I say to clients that I'm working with now and have been for a while is put some money inside of a black bank. In 2000, there were 48 Black-owned banks in the country. Now they're 21. Mm. 21. Mm. Those 21 banks have assets less than $5 billion. So I'm not going to have a financial lesson, A, because I'm not qualified to have one, B, that's not the purpose of our conversation. But I know numbers, enough to know that $5 billion over 21 banks is not a whole lot of assets. So if an organization wants to show me that they care about Black and brown individuals, Black Lives Mattering, and some of the other social injustice, then you put some money in a Black bank. You work with that Black bank to work in the community. Remember, I said geography and community. So you show up differently in geography and community. Second thing that organizations are doing and doing extremely well, they're reallocating resources. So they're not cutting DNI programs because we're in the midst of a pandemic. They're saying, how do we shift resources? How do we shift? headcount so that we can continue to attack the things that we feel are 
extremely important to our organization with DEIB being one of them. Third thing that they're doing, holding individuals accountable. I referenced Larry Fink's letter to shareholders December 2018. Larry Fink being the CEO of BlackRock. What he said inside of that, and I'm paraphrasing, is I am going to make it a responsibility that as a hiring manager, you start to address diversity and inclusion in our organization because what I know is that the organization is going to look different in five years. So if Larry Fink recognizes that in BlackRock, then you'd probably want to recognize it in your organization as well. So find a way to hold hiring managers and others accountable. I don't know what that looks like in your respective organization, but I know it needs to be done. So the three things that I've seen over and over and over again leadership participating and declaring how important it is, shifting of resources, be it money and headcount, and holding people accountable. Those are the three tenets. Those three tenets do not hinge upon no or any blog posts, any white papers, any management consultants, any strategists like myself. It's those three tenets that are important. You bring us in to maybe help you shape them, Right. to help you get at them. But absent of all of us and all of that, if you do those three, you will make a difference in your organization. Torn, thank you so much for joining me in this journey. It's a pleasure to continue to get to know you. I'm looking forward to our relationship and our partnership becoming something that's powerful in here and supporting you and the Torn Ellis brand and anything we can to help further our nation and our world to get stronger. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having my voice, man. I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you. Absolutely. And to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this encouragement, this inspiration. I encourage you to follow Torn and the information and the resources that he provides and also take action. As you mentioned, no matter who you utilize, hopefully this conversation has moved you in some areas that you can take action on. And that's what talent magnet leaders are. That's what talent magnet organizations are, are the ones that do exactly what we just discovered and discussed in this powerful conversation. So I hope also you carry with you Torn's comment on DEI and B and ROI of DEI and B. So Torn, have a great rest of your day. Enjoy. And I look forward to our next discussion. You got it. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. 
The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.